Welcome to the Inter Whisper Live. Well, we're not really live, we're recorded. (laughs) (laughs) Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. But before we start, I'm going to give my Intern Whisper tip of the week. So a reminder to employers that when you are working with your interns, you want to make sure that you remember to tell your interns that they really need to have a professional headshot on their LinkedIn profile. And just as a little shout out to Landon Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R, he does the headshots for all of our interns that are here locally. And that really does boost their confidence and you're giving them a really good gift to help them look great on LinkedIn. So remember the value of giving them a good headshot. All right. so. Drum roll here. Reed is our guest. He's the program director with Starter Studio. Elizabeth, I am so grateful for this man. He is awesome. He is a marketing and sales Uh extraordinaire. So I hope you enjoy meeting him as much as me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to get into this and learn more about this guy. All right. Well, you go ahead and kick us off, Elizabeth. All right, Mr. Reed, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your education and background in industry? Yes, and actually it's several industries. So uh, as, yeah, as Isabella said, you might have to be patient um, and I'll, I'll describe them. But education-wise, I have a, a master's degree in physics and electronic engineering. I also have a master's degree in business administration. So I did both of those. Um, so got a lot of education from that standpoint. Um, and I started my first job after I got my technical degree was with AT&T. And I said, I will love to work for you, but the last place I want to go is sales. And that's where I ended up, of course. And so <laughs> went in there and uh, I was part of a management development program and I was supposed to rotate to all the different departments, but I spent the whole time in sales, which has benefited me for my entire career because they have intensive sales training, absolutely phenomenal. And I learned uh, business to business uh, marketing and selling really from some of the best in in the country and in the world. Um, Very, very good. So from there, I went to get my MBA. And uh, while I was going through my MBA, in my summer off, I got an internship at American Express and a complete shift. So I was in the telecommunications data processing kind of industry. I shifted over to uh, travel and financial services. So I was there the summer. I completed my second year in the MBA and went back to American Express. Loved it. Absolutely phenomenal company. And they were growing at the time. And I went right into marketing. And uh, everyone around me was from Procter & Gamble, General Foods, Kraft. So I got a really intensive marketing education there. And I ended up being the brand manager for the Platinum Card. That was my really true first startup, um, was really taking the very, actually was one of the first products they had in about 20 years. So they had the green and the gold, and I was heading up the Platinum Card. So we did that. And uh, an idea is uh, we had 250,000 members, and they charged $5.5 billion per year. So it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, and then I got a phone call one day and they said, hi, we're at Walt Disney and we're starting up a brand new company and we want somebody that'll head up marketing. And I go, I think I'll take that call. I think I'll go and take that, uh, uh, you know, that, that interview. Questions. Yes. 
So when you got, when you're working on American Express on the platinum card, did they give yeah. everybody a platinum card that's working on it? I would hope so. Absolutely not. It was a great <laughs> question. And because I went into my boss and I said, the only way I can experience this product is to have it. And he said, well, I was the product manager for Rely Tampons. And oh. he said, I could not use the product. He said, I had no problem. Done. You know, I was, okay, I'm leaving your office now. So he said, you do not have to have it to know it. So anyhow, oh, so God, good try though. Good try. Yeah. Good try. I know. So you go um, to Disney World. Did they give you tickets to the theme park or was no, it Disney yes. World or Disneyland? Yes. Well, it was Walt Disney World, but we're, I was actually part of a, a separate division, which was called the Disney Development Company. And they actually developed the real estate assets worldwide for Disney. So if you built a theme park, you built the resort or even an office building, they did that. Um, and we were unique in this case because we were going to build the company and we were actually going to run it. So a development company, usually they'll build a resort, but they hand the keys over and say, you got, that's your business. We built it. They did plenty of that. But in this case, uh, this was the Disney Vacation Club. And I headed up not only marketing, but marketing operations for the Disney Vacation Club. And, and so that was right at startup. We literally, nothing was built. We didn't even have a logo. And it was like, okay, go zero to 60 very fast to start that business up. With the Platinum Card, it was a startup. With Disney Vacation Club, a startup, but also it was inside a very, very large company. So uh, that that was a difference. So, um, but I often say, hey, we pitch for money too. Everything we did, we pitch for money. The problem is we only had one source of money, and if they said no, lights out, goodbye, see you, you go home. We had no other sources of of, of funding. Um, so the pressure there is, is a big deal because you literally can just lose out and you just stop everything you're doing. So I worked at Disney, helped launch the Disney Vacation Club and did some very good things here in Orlando. But then we decided to build resorts outside of Walt Disney World. So I was in Vero Beach and, and uh, Hilton Head Island out in Colorado and California, and we were looking at sites to build brand new resorts that would be part of the network of Disney Vacation Club resorts. So I did amazing things and worked with the top developers literally in the world. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating, a whole lot of fun. And every time I landed in, in a city, I was met by usually the city council and the mayor, and they wanted, wanted to talk to me about everything we were doing. And yes, Vero Beach thought we were gonna run a monorail from Orlando to Vero Beach. They were convinced of it. <laughs> Absolutely convinced, it was that crazy. So cool. A lot, lot of good stories, a lot of, a lot of good, great learning, but that was also a startup. And we literally went from 10 people to 1500 people in about five months. You know so what's interesting? You know, yep. you're telling me that that's a startup and I sure don't think about Disney World as being a startup, even though you're yep. talking about you're building up, like, I guess maybe it's like a division or a program underneath it. I, I really had never thought about that being the same as like little tiny intern pursuit, you know, and it's yep. struggled to climb up the ladder. I feel like the money is more accessible inside of a company yes. like that. Yep. So it's. I think it's easier to be successful. Yeah, 
yes, definitely you're, you're not worried about money, so to speak, unless you have to pitch, you know, different, you know, different advancements in that business. So example, we build a resort and the plan is to have 750 rooms, but you only start with 200 and then you've got to pitch to build the next 200 or the next 300. And so you're constantly pitching for money internally to fund what you're doing. But a lot of what you go through is very similar to the startups we work with, but absolutely different scale. You know, your market is proven. You have a brand. Okay. I mean, Disney at the time was rated, I think, number one or two in the world for a brand. But what you learn is the power and the value of brands. So when we work with startups, branding is so important and you can't start early enough in building that brand because I've seen people do well with a brand, which I have, and you see other people we competed with and you can see branding won. They win the day every day. So let's go back then. And just so our mm -hmm. listeners know, most of them are in business, but I think having yeah. a definition of what branding is and how yeah. that is used and because, okay, this is my definition. And then before you answer, Bob, I want to hear what Elizabeth says. She thinks branding okay. is too. So to me, branding is I'm creating a logo. I want to have a story behind my logo. It's either the design or the colors or something. I should be looking at the colors to think about, well, what is the meaning of the colors to my uh, target audience? And then when I put that logo in the colors, it needs to be cohesive on my website, my social feeds, on any of my print. I'm not sure if messaging comes as part of that, but I'll throw messaging in there. What do you think branding is, Elizabeth? Very similar. Yeah, having that like very cohesive color palette and logo throughout all the media types you produce. Yeah, the story behind it. I Again, I don't know if that goes into messaging, but the story behind the logo and the story of your company also kind of traveling with you and your logo wherever it goes. Okay, so Bob, okay. What, what is the right answer? So this is where you begin to hate me, right? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, what you've talked about is executing the brand. You execute um, what you want people to feel. And you always use the word feel or what is the emotional attachment to your product, your service, because you really should ask the question, how does and this this cuts across everybody it's your customer it's your vendors it's your partners and so when you sit in sessions and you talk about branding you should say okay is that consistent with my brand and so you're really driven to this spot that says how, what's the emotional appeal how do people feel so you think nike is a great one how do people feel about nike and they put those shoes on or they put the top and the shorts on and they experience the brand. And when you start to see how Nike executes on that brand, you'll see what are their commercials. Their commercials are phenomenal, right? They're yeah. very memorable. You watch them and you, you, know, you can't help but have a teardrop. But that all, all has to do is how do you feel when you actually deal with the brand, okay? And, and customer service comes into it. How do you, American Express, how do you answer the phone? How do you script that person answering the phone? If you follow up with a letter, what's the letter stock? What's the, the envelope feel like when they open it? Okay, what's the language that you use? You see the words I'm using, 
you're going, wait a minute, you thought that much about it. Well, that's what branding does is you literally think about every possible touch point, all the senses that you use. Uh, Disney is phenomenal for this. They use all the senses to build a theme park and everything is scripted out from the moment you step there. What's the color of the sidewalk? What do you smell in the air? Is it freshly roasted popcorn? Or do you see ice cream? What do you smell? What do you see? What do you feel? I'm carrying out a little bit, but branding is all about that. And then what you've just spoken about is how do I execute that then? How do, what does that look like? So. so my question, I'm pretty sure Elizabeth will have one too, is um, mm -hmm. I should be thinking right now is like, what is my story that I'm going yep. to tell so that when people know my story, that's what they're relating to. And I do have a story. The reason yeah. why I chose the colors I chose, and uh, but I don't want to go into that story yet and, and interrupt Elizabeth. Elizabeth, did you oh, have sure. something you want to ask before? Because I'm happy to tell my story. Oh, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear the story, yeah. Love okay. to hear the story. Okay, so I use the same color palette in my consulting firm and in Intern Pursuit and my intern pursuit academy and the game and everything I do. And there is a reason why I actually had the same color palette for cat five studios, but I, I switched it. Um, but there's a reason there's a story for that one too. So the reason why I chose red, white, black, and or it was initially gray. Um, there was a reason I did add in a secondary color palette just to kind of break it up a little bit. But here's, here's my story. So I see everything in black and white. So the reason why I have black and white is because that's in print. I was an English major. I love the experience of touching books. I like everything about what comes with black and white as it relates to reading a story. But I also, as a person, I just know there's right and wrong, period. However, we live in a world of gray. So I added the gray in there because like, stuff happens and when you mix black and white together it becomes gray and it can get a little fuzzy sometimes or you know we're not really sure because it's it maybe it's not just there's only this way or that way the reason why i have red is it's it's for the blood of christ and it truly is my constant reminder of who i serve i'm here to serve christ first and every time I see that, it always makes me think, is this something that I should be doing? Is this good yep. for, for who I serve? Does it demonstrate mm. um, good you know, care of the stewardship of the people that are with me? So that's really part of why I chose those colors. The secondary colors, because red and black are such intense colors, I chose this coral color to kind of help break it up. But there's this side of me that does non, I've been in nonprofit for 26 years. And in nonprofit, the feeling that is evoked the most and why nonprofits use it is a, an ivory color and a Valentine red. It evokes the most giving and loving feeling. So usually that, those two colors are used huh. often in donation packages. And I felt like because my background is in nonprofit, it's also built around education. It's built around the things that are centered on people. Um, there is still only right or wrong. You know, you, you do right by people or you're not doing right by people. There is still this place of remembering like 
who, who I serve. And I don't want anybody to see me. I want them to see Jesus, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I don't put my faith out there, you know, publicly in that way, because I really want people just to, to see him. So anyway, mm -hmm. that's the story behind it. And I don't know how to put cool. that necessarily in, yeah. in something, but you know, like that's, that's the story and it has symbolism to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you have really the, the basis of the, the branding, the feeling, a lot of what the words, and I listen very closely to the words that you're using. And I think what that does is it translates into intern pursuit and how you want your clients to treat your interns, right? I and do. And, yeah. And so this is what I wanted when somebody had asked mm -hmm. me, you know, can I scale this? And I said, let me think about it. And I said, yeah, I, I can. But I, I want there to always be this element of I love you. And I, I hope that's what Elizabeth feels. I hope that's what Augustina feel there. Yeah. They're with me. And I want them to know that they're cared for and they're appreciated. And sometimes people forget to say that, but man, I, Augustina and Elizabeth and also Adina, these three women, mm -hmm. I sit here and I go, man, I want to know you guys in five years. I'm going to keep in touch with you because I think they're going to like do amazing things in the world. Terrific. But you, you have, you absolutely have hit the, how do I want to feel when I work with, you know, Isabella, her team. Okay. Every interaction that you have with a client is, wow, they're caring. They care about the people. They want to have the best experience. They want to build skills right for them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how you want to feel. So you translate your color palette. Okay. You translate all of your messaging into that. And that's how that website should feel. If I go to your website, that's the feeling I should have. I, you know, and it's just like you're an English person, right? You say, I read a book. How do you feel when you're reading that book? And you, mm -hmm. you know, each book is a little different. And, and so I mean, you're there, you've got the emotional attachment to it. And now you begin to execute that way. The great thing is it becomes a filter to say, okay, I'm ready to do, you know, a posting on Facebook. Okay. You do that posting. Is that Facebook posting, is it talking to me the way I want? Okay. Is it doing, is it, is it evoking that same emotion or is it something stupid i'm just saying that you know it's a stupid graphic and maybe it's funny and i think it's funny but then you pause and you go wait a minute that's not what we're about we're about just the stuff you were just talking about and so that's a way especially when you work with the marketing company if they're doing design work you can you don't design you just say strategically does it align with my brand and that's your filter you know, they may come up with a cool design and you say, gee, I really like it, but it has nothing to do with my brand, you know, and what I want to communicate. <laughs> and so it's, it's a great way. And we were taught this, especially at American Express. We, I paid a million and a half dollars a year as a retainer fee for, for my ad agency. That was just a retainer fee. And we spent $15 million. That was my budget. So I paid $15 million a year to them. Big, big budget. But when we would have meetings with them, they put up these beautiful things and I'll go, it's cool, but it has nothing to do with our positioning or our branding. So that was my role as a brand manager. I had to make sure that they stayed, you know, within those parameters. So I'm going on a lot about it, but it's it, it, very interesting kind of stuff, but I've been really deeply involved in it in, in several companies. So 
And holy cow, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah there's a lot okay. of psychology behind that. Elizabeth, did you have a question or something that you wanted to you mm -hmm. know, say or comment? Uh, not so much a question, but uh, mm. we're talking a lot about branding for company, uh, for companies yeah. right now. But what I've been hearing in a lot of my classes is that personal branding has become so important as well. Absolutely. TikTok even. Um, yeah. And so like who you're putting, like what, what you put on the internet of yourself is your own sort of personal brand and stories. And I was just reflecting on exactly. myself and a lot of my uh, my friends' Instagrams thinking like, oh, wow, is this the kind of branding that I, I want everyone to see and to know me by? I think, uh -huh. I think that's part of the future of this sort of marketing industry is yeah. not only the company itself, but also who's working for the company. Um, mm -hmm. And we've seen, mm -hmm. seen that so often lately uh, in, in what's colloquially called uh, cancel culture. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of that, yep, but yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like <clears throat> people who are canceled are part of like something huge. Like one of the stars of The Mandalorian uh, recently said some things that did not align with Disney's uh, views. Yep. And so I think mm -hmm. she was let go from the show. Or... Yeah if not like just heavily reprimanded. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If, you, if mm. you want a company, a company that knows branding to the nth degree and, and it can actually drive you crazy, it's, it's, it's Disney without a doubt. I mean, we can talk about every character that they have mm -hmm. and they know exactly what the brand of that character is and how they should pose the character, what that character wears, what it does, mm -hmm. doesn't do, what it says, doesn't say. I mean, I've been in meetings where you go, uh, no, Mickey would never say that. No, no, we can't do that. No, Mickey would never wear that. He can't wear that because, you know, they've really kind of branded that character in, in great detail. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I know it, it, it drives you crazy. He's like, come on, Mickey can wear that hat. <laughs> it's just a hat, but is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, that's no. true. Yeah, that is so uh, true. So it's a, it's a good example uh, of that. You know, and, and yes, there's a lot of people that talk branding, by the way. So you've got my story. Um, you can talk to others, but inevitably it'll, it'll come back to what I was talking about. You know, you raise an interesting point because that's also one of the considerations that I make when I look to hire somebody. I go and look yep. on their social feed and I go, is this somebody I want representing my company? And yeah, that does make a big difference because if, if it's mm -hmm. somebody that's going to be a, um, we'll say a swimsuit model, you know, I'm going, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to have people that don't have a lot of clothes on when we're trying. That's not, I'm not in fashion. I'm not in, sure. you know, beachwear. And I'm going, it's just not how I'm wanting to picture that. And then I also have yep. thought about, okay, if they're always drinking online, that is that <laughs> somebody that I want to have representing Absolutely. my company and yep. it will also include things that they share um if they're yep. heavily i mean i'm private in how i share my faith but i also don't put my my political views out there and everything i feel like that's private and i i'm not trying to change the world in that way i want to yep. change the world this way is to make every intern sure. experience awesome for employers and students because like just just show you care for people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then anyway. it translates to, you know, if you have partnerships, sponsorships, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's you may, true. 
may do it, you know, already, you know, unconsciously, but yeah, you, and you know, you put on a, a conference and you have certain sponsors that you'll go, no way, you know, they're not going to be part of this. You know, am I going to have Hooters as part of my, you know, sponsorship? <laughs> and you go, yeah, I've eaten in Hooters. I enjoy it, but am I going to have them as a sponsor? Nope. You know, that doesn't align. So, okay. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. All right. Well, I'm going to jump over here. Five words. How would you describe yourself? Five words. Wow. Ooh, yeah. I would say uh, mentor, um, analytic, um, caring, dog lover. Yeah. <laughs> Not a dog lover. Did I run out of We'll yet? pretend like that's a compound word. So. <laughs> and, uh, and problem solver. Let's okay. Yeah. 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 I would definitely define you in those ways. I don't know about the dog. I didn't know that you were a dog lover. I've got three of them. Really? Oh, more. Yeah. You gonna bring one into the office? No, they're all big. How they're big? Are, them. are they What's great things? Are they great? No, things? no, not quite that big. I, I did that. My my mother had a, a neighbor with three great Danes. I mean, they were enormous. So I know. I have two of yeah. them myself. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they they were monsters oh yeah absolutely <laughs> they're wonderful <laughs> they are such nice dogs though they are so yeah. loving yeah. Oh, they, they just don't know they're that big <laughs> it's so true no no you're right you're right they don't yeah yeah <laughs> how did you get involved in the nasdaq as a mentor ah well the person right in front of me right now elizabeth or isabel is the one that introduced me to milestone maker she went through the program and she said, gee, I think you should be a mentor. And so she connected me with, with Colin out at uh, NASDAQ. And I guess we just clicked. And my first mentoring went very, very well with that. I got some great feedback. And now I'm on my third you know, mentee, uh, the current mentee, Remy. He's located in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, fascinating guy and working on a special platform for him. Um, so that's how I got involved with with that aspect of NASDAQ. But then as I was doing that for four or five months, they came up with a, believe it or not, an online platform that uh, matches mentors and mentees worldwide. And so I kind of jumped right into that. And um, they have literally thousands of people now that have signed up for this uh, mentor uh, maker is the name of the platform. And uh, it's very, very well run, just like the the milestone maker program that Isabella went through. And we connect as mentors, we gather about each month and, and share a lot of stories, but I'm able to connect with mentees, I am not kidding you, around the world. So a week doesn't go by that I'm not talking to people in three different countries about what their startup is about. So uh, really fascinating, a lot of fun. So some of those places are, are obviously very different than the United States. Um, what yeah. are the problems that they're trying to solve over there? Because, yeah, you know, some of them are like third world countries at times. Yes. Yes. Um, what I found universally, and I love the question because universally the businesses run very, very similar, but each country. So in East Africa and South Africa, very different from the standpoint of the things that we take 
you know, for granted and you're able to do, they'll go, no, 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 Bob, you cannot do that here. Uh, you'll get arrested. Okay. Oh. Or that's a good idea, but that's going to take, you know, what we would get done in a week, it would take six months for them. Um, very often labor is very inexpensive and they go, no, we won't get a machine for that. No, we won't do that. We'll just hire 10 people. And, uh, and they pay them very little. It's, it's, it's a real eye opener to see how little um, people get paid in different parts. But on the other hand, I'm talking to people in Dubai and India, very, very well off people typically, and they have sources of capital very often through family. And so they go, no, I don't need venture capital. I have family, they'll give me the money. I just need to get my business model get, yeah, they don't even hesitate. You know, at all. Very, very interesting. And then I have a, a real good friend in, in Calgary now, and she's got really a fantastic, and I, I think I've sent you some information, Isabella. She essentially uh, raises money for not-for-profits, but she has negotiated contracts with Fortune 500 companies to give special credit. So if your nonprofit signs up on her platform, if you go to Home Depot, Home Depot will give 10% of that purchase to your fundraising. And you can go to Nike, you can go to, you know, Panera. And every time you make a purchase, that gets funneled back and you can raise money that way. She works with a lot of not-for-profits, church groups uh, to raise money. Um, so that's just an interesting platform. Okay. That is really, really interesting. Uh, what yeah. was your first paying job? And you can go into like if you were mowing lawns, but first real paying oh, job. No, I grew up with a serial entrepreneur, my father, and oh. he had a, a tile company. So he tiled businesses and bathrooms and kitchens and that sort of thing. And he learned that from my grandfather, who was from Switzerland. And it's apparently this long history. I've done my ancestry thing, long history of tiling. And so that was his craft, but he left there and he said, I want my own business. And so he got into the, uh, it's a tire business, auto repair, and we did tire repairs and also recapping, recapping truck tires. At the age of 12, I was recapping truck tires, 18 wheelers. I was crawling under trucks, you know, jacking them up, taking the tires off and, you know, retreading those tires the dirtiest job in the world. <laughs> Very hard. And I would work a 60 hour week and I got paid $46. What? Holy cow. Yeah. For, for a 60 hour week, I was paid no overtime, but it was family business and we worked six days a week. Wow. So yeah. if you were doing that, were you in school? You said you were 12. So you had to be in school. Like, yeah. As soon as you yeah, got was, out of school, you went and worked went there and my friends were jealous because I always had a job and I was always making money. But uh, every, every weekend, holiday, I mean, all Christmas. Yeah. You just, you worked on the family business, you know, as much as possible. And then summers, of course, all summer I worked there. So. Oh, wow. But, but what it taught me was what I never wanted to <laughs> full time. So it was not yeah, going to be that type of, that type of manual labor. No, no. And, and because the people around me were 30 years old and their backs were blown out and their hands were ruined. I mean, yeah, it, it really makes an impression on you. But you learn to work very hard in harsh conditions. Um, so 
anyhow, that was my first paying job, you know, wow. from that standpoint. Yeah. Are you the first one that went to college from your family? Uh, yes. First one. Yeah. Holy cow. Now others went after me, but yeah, I was the, the first one to, to go through. Okay, Elizabeth, you're up. <laughs> Do you have a recurring dream? And if so, what is it? Hmm. Um, not being able to solve the puzzle. Um, and it's, it's situational. It's like, okay, it's easy. You've got to come to the hallway. You've got to go through the door and get through the door, or you're on a hiking trail and you're trying to get through the gorge and, you know, to the other side, and there's no way to figure it out. Um, and that, that's probably the only recurring one. And it's, you know, because the problem solver is you're always able to solve the mm. problem, but it becomes an intractable problem. It's like impossible to, you know, so that's usually when I wake up and I go, oh, thank God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what well, nicer yeah. than my recurring dreams. I just get like scary, like there's a clown in the closet type oh thing. Oh my God. Oh, oh, no, no, none of, none of that. But wow. it, it, it gets frustrating because you're trying to, you know, keep figuring it out, figuring it out, and you can't get through. Yeah. And it's not like I'm in any danger. It's just, I, I can't get through the door. I can't get over the hill. Oh, that's probably because you're the problem solver and that's a fear for you for sure. So that's going to lead yep. into, we didn't even talk about Starter Studios. So why don't we talk about what is your role there at, what is Starter Studio and what is your mm -hmm. role there as a program director? Okay. Yeah, Starter Studio is a combination business accelerator and shared workspace is probably the best way to describe it. Yay, so Starter! Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because uh, about, I went through their program. Yeah. Yeah. And about seven years old. And uh, how I got connected with it is here's your next industry. I was in the healthcare industry for over three years. And I was a director of innovation at Advent Health here in Orlando. Wow. And so I spent three, three years and they have 25 different hospitals. And so I worked on clinical and non-clinical new products and services and developing those. And so again, a large organization, lots of money to put into it and very fascinating. And they are involved in many, many different things. And one of which was a healthcare incubator and accelerator. And so they said, Bob, here's your next project. And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Never heard of it. And they said, okay, well, benchmark. And uh, I traveled all around the country benchmarking accelerators, incubators, shared workspace. And I went to, you know, the major cities around the country. And I said, wow, this is fantastic. And they said, oh, by the way, there's this thing called Starter Studio. And it was just, just beginning, I guess, maybe a little bit further. And so I became a mentor there. I was involved. I actually was a member of Canvas when it was called Canvas. Mm -hmm. And um, wow. so I had a membership and, um, and then also I began mentoring. And then after mentoring for, I guess, about two years or so, then um, they were looking for facilitators for their programs. And unfortunately, somebody said, hey, would you like to do this? Are you interested? And, and my background at Disney, I mentioned it, but I spent five years with the Disney Institute and the Disney University. And so I knew about adult education and facilitating and I had designed programs there. It was kind of a perfect fit. Been doing the facilitation and then kind of morphed right into program development. And I developed the current idea stage program. Uh, we were trying to use something else, but it didn't work. So I did that. 
And so now I facilitate and kind of manage those programs, not only at Starter Studio, but we reached out to other accelerators. And now we're offering our programming to other accelerators just like us that don't have program. They literally have zero. And we, we can literally walk in and say, we've got three programs and they go, great, we'll take them or they'll take one out of the three. So Does that answer your question. It, it did, but I, I didn't know that you were here even when it was Canvas. I feel like I met you so much later because oh. I was here when it was Canvas and I hmm. we had Mentor Madness. I don't remember meeting you, but you know, I might not have been assigned to you that evening when we had that. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think I met you until like, I don't know, three years ago. So I'm going, where uh, have you been all this time? How did I not meet yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, no, that was just how I can, otherwise I wouldn't have done it, but I was always very interested in startup entrepreneurism and through my, you know, life and, and career. And then I just said, hey, wait a minute, this is some pretty cool stuff here. And at first though, I was being rejected because they said, you're not talking about technology. You really don't have that background. I don't know anything about coding website. Uh, but I said, no, I think I can, you know, I can contribute something here. And so I was just tenacious about it and it worked out. I am so um, glad. I cannot imagine not knowing you. And I am glad that you were because that is absolutely one of the most top three important qualities any entrepreneur should have yep. is tenacity, right? Oh, you yeah. just go yeah, like, no, get yeah. out of my way. It's going to happen. <laughs> yep. And you just, you just have to take the hits along the way. You have to be extremely resilient is, yes. is really and adaptable. And I found because of my career in the different industries, I was very adaptable. I mean, how do you go from telecommunications to financial? I haven't even talked about all the travel services and the convention services I did. Um, and each industry is, is different, but I was very adaptable and resilient and, and could, you know, could kind of change and shift. I guess well, we would call it pivots now, right? Yes, uh -huh. <laughs> we would. You know, that's one of my other companies too, Pivot. But yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, I am very, very glad that um, to know that information. I didn't know that, but you know, just so you know, Elizabeth, Bob heads up the programs, and they have ideation, build, and seed, and I think there's a boot camp also. He is the yep. one that makes sure all of these programs are working. He has a couple of people that help him, but um, Bob is the the main guy now that is yep. overseeing the expansion of the program. So he is perfect for yes. this since he's worked with giant companies. Wow, yep. it's very so cool. So today, today I was on the phone with the people in Miami, and there's an accelerator in Miami that wants to use our programming, but they're working on a project at the Brooklyn. Navy Yard, and they want the, our programming at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, too. So, um, And then we have a proposal to Brownsville, Texas. Go figure. We've got a lot of stuff going. Mm. Yep. Yep. Well, that is good. Okay. So I kind of went off of our questions, but sure. you can get us back on track here, Elizabeth. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to ask one more question before we do that. So you mentioned kind of about Disney and like the Disney University. Did you have any involvement yeah. with the Disney College program? No. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I didn't, although many people that I worked with had gone through that program. So obviously that's their kind of feeder to hiring, you know, people right off the of college campuses and very effective program. And as I said, I worked with people that said, oh yeah, that's where I started, you know, and I've been here for 10 years, 15 wow. years. 
yeah, it's it's worked very, very well for them. And as usual, they put a lot of time and effort into it, organized it the right way. And uh, yeah, and really attracted, I think, some some very good people. Very cool. Wow. Yeah. I have a little bit of interest in that. So, you know, I figured I'd ask. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. Bob, do you know people? Can you open a door for her? Ooh. You know, no, not not now. I've been away from it for so long. But I actually never worked with the program, just with people that had gone through it. Um, and they, of course, spoke very highly of it. And, and they knew about it. They knew about it. You know, early, early on, the family had come to Walt Disney World and they said, ooh, how do I work here? And they found out about the college program and it was way, a good way of connecting. You know, and, and they, they would come down. They had a whole dormitory of people that were on the college program. They stayed right here. Yeah, it's, it's a big, big effort because you know they had 50,000 employees when I was there. And then that's only employees. They have contractors, another 15,000 of them. So their HR is really busy. Yes, um, yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. I know people in that HR department too, but I know them here in this state. So I don't know if that's, yeah. I'm sure it's helpful, but you know, if that's something that you want, Elizabeth, let me, let me see how I can get you there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll return to that yeah. later. <laughs> yes, we will. Okay. For sure. Most influential person in your life and why? A couple different people, but I, I think the one that really set me on, you know, going actually to college, right? And really technically was an uncle who was uh, worked for NASA and Whoa. he built he built all of the tracking stations for the Apollo program. So these are tracking stations all over the you know the globe, and um, and I actually spent several summers with him and his and his wife and kids in Washington D.C. Um, because they, they he worked for NASA in Greenbelt, Maryland. So I went down there, and I think that was the most influential, you know, sort of move on my part to actually pursue engineering and physics and all of that. So, hmm. yeah, that is very man. You could have gone in so many directions, Bob. That's amazing. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yeah. Some of them not so nice. <laughs> so. so what are you most proud of? It sounds like you've had this really amazing yeah. work um, history and you've met yep. amazing people too. So like, sure. what are you most proud of? I've got a few things, but the one I, I particularly like because it, it fits the, a lot of the things that we talk about in the idea stage and doing customer discovery and creating a new product, a new service, right? And when I was at American Express Platinum Card, I spent a great deal of time in Port Lauderdale. We had a building, 5,000 people that were doing customer service, answering phones. And um, I ended up saying, I am gonna throw out all my market research and this is what I tell people in the idea stage, don't do market research, don't do surveys, talk to the customer. And what I did was I just listened to phone calls and I would go down to Fort Lauderdale at least once a month, spend three, four days. And all I did was listen to phone calls and what was happening. And then I befriended our customer service representatives because they talked to my customer. They talked to hundreds of my customers every day, right? No market research could possibly do that. And so in doing that, I said, wait a minute, they have problems that they're actually calling in to help. And they're saying, can you solve this problem? Hi, I have a platinum card. Do you guys do this? Do 
you guys do this? Do you solve this problem? And I kept listening. And uh, ultimately, I listened strong enough. And I said, wait a minute. They are looking for a very unique, and it was actually a concierge service. Um, they're looking for some very unique services because they travel all the time, all over the globe, by air. And they're doing some really interesting things when they travel. They're not just traveling on business. They do a lot of travel for, for pleasure. And so what I was able to do was take the one concept we had, which was, or it was a service, and it was uh, legal and medical uh, emergency services. So if anything happened to you anywhere on the globe, we would literally help you immediately, especially on uh, for health. Or I'll just take a minute. But essentially, if you had any health emergency, we could connect you with Georgetown University that had the wives of diplomats who spoke those languages in the right way. And they could talk to the attending physician and they would you know, assess what was happening. And then we would get physicians at the major medical schools to connect. And if you needed to be medevaced, we'd literally send a nurse and a doctor on a private jet to pick you up wow. and bring you back to the States. And your cost was zero. Okay, wow. that was part that was part of it. So where I'm leading up to is I'm saying, wait a minute, I can get prescriptions, I can get people, I can get everything through customs immediately. We are phenomenal at doing that. And I said, wait a minute, why don't we offer a whole new set of services and I can get anything else you want back to this country. And so we introduced a, a literally a 24-7 concierge service, and you could ask for anything in my you talk about marketing, I said, anytime, anything, anywhere. And our lawyers went Ooh. crazy. <laughs> and I said, anything. And I remember my lawyer said, what if I want to run for governor of California? <laughs> would you help me? And I go, that's not in the spirit of the service. So he would say no. So he was happy with that. But we introduced that and it became the number one service and the first person to test us was the chairman of the board of American Express. And he was looking for a special book on dogs, yay dogs, but it was a special <laughs> kind of dog. He hadn't been able to find it. He made a phone call and within eight hours, we found the book. We got a courier to take it from Connecticut into Manhattan and deliver it to his, his desk in eight hours. We were able to do the whole thing. So you know uh, what, that sounds like FedEx, Amazon, like you pick <laughs> yep. any of those giants that you're used to dealing with now yeah. and that you guys were doing it before they were there. And we did it. And by the way, we had no internet. Okay. No, <laughs> no cell phones, no cell phones, no internet. And we were the first ones on the planet, by the way, to offer the thing they call 24 seven. Anyhow, it was, it was terrific. And we, we, we literally had people that say, hi, I'm, I'm flying to this country and I want to outfit my new uh, mansion and I want to buy everything I need to decorate it and I need to shift back and ensure to get it back to the States. We'll do it. And wow. it was phenomenal marketing. That was the best part is our newsletter was filled with all these stories. Like, here's what we did. Here's what we did. Here's what, and, and it blew away our competition. Our competition couldn't even come close to doing anything like, and they were trying to figure out how the hell do we do all of this? They said, <laughs> that's like a 
amazing. And so literally we would do hundreds of these every month. Um, and it, so it, made, it was great storytelling and everything else. And our ad agency like went crazy. They go, oh my God, uh, we got great market. So anyhow, cool. that's the one I think was the most fun. But it literally went from zero to, you know, getting it done, marketing, doing all the pieces. Um, and it, it differentiated us well beyond any of our competitors. And it, and it was very difficult. And then yes, they ended up trying to match us over the next three, four years. So that's right. a great Long story. story. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we will be right sure. back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. All right, so we're back to our show. We're going to be talking about the future of work in 2030. What do the jobs and also the industries look like? I was doing some of the research on this, Bob. And if we were looking at startup world as the industry, it's not like, I don't think it's a real industry, but we'll say it is. Um, that's where most innovation comes from. And the, there's this huge push to obviously protect the environment, health because of COVID, and then also the economy, which was one of the things that we suffered. Out of all of those things, when I was looking at the research, it seems like automations are going to be big. I think that there's going to be more of those types of opportunities, but like, where did the people in customer service, because you were talking about that, I'm going, how would they automate customer service? Because personally, I, I like talking with a human. I despise chatbots. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> or call call prompters was the first. Oh automation. my God, don't get me yep. in the loop. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. So what do you think? And then Elizabeth, you weigh in on that also too. Okay. Well, you touched on a few different things there. You mean customer service or the future? Go to any direction yeah. you wish. Okay. Um, yeah, I think if you look at the internet of things and all the sensors out there and you look at, you wanna throw in cryptocurrency and AI and all of that, if you combine all of that, you find that there will be absolutely amazing things you can do as we work with startups that work with um, sensors or cryptocurrency or AI, they are doing some amazing things which on the one hand is a huge support for many people doing work. They can do so many more things smartly um, because the amount of content and information out there um, is so overwhelming now that you really will need these systems to digest it and curate it. Um, but on the other hand, you now look at a workforce and you say, what kind of workforce do I need to develop this to maintain it to work with these systems and you will need a highly highly educated workforce so i kind of look at people that aren't highly educated and i think they're going to have a huge struggle you know to be able to find the kind of work but um and i of course advise my children on this is you know get that education because you know that robot that drone okay that ai system will take over quite a bit of that, you know, sort of, let's call it a, a low level sort of 
uh, job, low skill level, right? And what's going to happen is you need to operate at that higher level. Now you'll be well paid. I think it'll be a, a very good job. But um, so I see that as a, as a major factor. Um, you know, at least that's one of the trends. There's many others, but I, I agree. I think that's a big one. And then sustainability is going to be absolutely explosive. The amount of government mm. funding for it is going to be, and you can already see it's happening. And obviously the summer we've had, you know, yeah. really accentuates, you know, the real problem. And, and we were, my wife and I were very involved in this even about five, 10 years ago, and uh, you couldn't get anybody to listen. And now it's, it's in your face every night. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. that's my take. You know, Elizabeth lives in also California. Her family is there. So she is experiencing the water shortage, shortages, the also the heat, yep. all of these oh, things. So I really look forward to hearing what you have to say, Elizabeth. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, th I think sustainability is going to be huge. I mean, it's already huge, but I think yeah. it's going to get increasingly yeah. bigger. Um, <laughs> Is right now like in California, there's a bunch of fires going on, and in my area, we've had like AQI levels of like 180, 200 because of all mm. the smoke everywhere, and so everyone's coughing yeah. all the time, and it's it's just horrible. And you know, because of the constant drought that seems to never end, it's like kind of difficult yeah. to always put out all of these fires, and you know, of course, they do get put out, but it's still just, it's a constant worry all the time of like, you know, how are giant corporations polluting our air and polluting our water and everything um, and not thinking of the future, it seems like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so yep. I think the future, if we don't take some big steps and if, I don't know, these big companies that aren't necessarily even in America, they're everywhere, you know, if they don't start thinking of the future, like the future future, I think things are gonna mm. get dicey real quick. Oh, yeah. Yep. I think that's also why there's this big push to have um, the ability to go into space and either you're yeah. living in space or you're going to be <laughs> on another planet. Um, yeah. I think that there's uh, for those that are really visionary, like Elon Musk and, you know, Bezos and those, mm -hmm. I feel like they're going, well, maybe they know something that we don't. So. Yeah. Or at least they have the money that we don't. <laughs> oh, oh, they definitely have that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I've seen a lot of focus on things that are environmental. And I feel like that is going to be huge, whether it's how we are, um, what's going on with our water, how we're handling places like Chernobyl that still has radiation, you mm -hmm. know, and how do we how do we handle these types of situations? They, I was watching this documentary and it was about, are we going to go and take all of this horrible debris or waste that's from it? And where do we put it? Are we burying it in the center of the earth? Are we throwing it into space? Is it, the plan was to put it in our water. And I went, oh my God, who would even say that? <laughs> you know, like, you know, you can't put it yeah. into oceans. You know, that's going to kill the animals. That kills the ecosystem. That kills, mm. you know, like, what are we drinking? You know? it's just like I think it's so bizarre so I feel like the the need for innovation in environmental issues and health because of COVID is mm -hmm. just going to be super super high yeah and I think the the funding is there and um you may or may not be aware but in the financial world 
uh, what's been happening over the last four or five years is insurance companies are now coming up with rating systems to say, you know, what is your impact, you know, on the environment? Okay, what, where are you um, and where are the ocean, you know, before they go, oh, well, you know, the level of the ocean, you know, the sea level, sea level rise wouldn't really happen and now it is. And now insurance companies are starting to say, wait a minute, your risk is higher. It's going to cost you more mm -hmm. if you build right there. And so now the large companies are going, wait a minute, hold it. You mean my insurance is going to go skyrocket if I do this? So they're forcing companies to rethink how they're doing things. And then on, in the investment world, they now have investment companies that are saying, wait a minute, we're going to evaluate your environmental risk. And we're going to now look at the value of your stock and what your interest rate is going to be on your bonds and, and your investments. And so now they're pressuring these large companies to say, you better make smart sustainability choices, because if you don't, you're going to be impacted directly on the bottom line. So you'll yeah. see more and more of that. It started. Now that's happening. And by the way, we're literally talking about trillions of dollars in play. So it's yeah. not just one or two. So that's the good news because they'll react to that. They won't react to, you know, Bob, the scientist is, you know, standing in the water <laughs> and going, look, the sea level rises up three inches, you know, so what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but if your insurance company says, uh, no, you're not going to be able to do that project because of the, you know, the environmental impact and they're going to go, what? And they're going to go, yeah, you got to rethink how you build it mm -hmm. and you can't impact it. So. Just yeah. a little more information. I think that that's really something that small businesses are going to have to consider also, because we've always thrown that as something that the big companies are supposed to solve. But every company, people are beginning to care about this. And that needs to be part of the hiring hiring strategy yep. is to, well, what is it that you care about? What is the cause that is you're super passionate about? And then you're going, uh, people that are looking to work, they will align themselves with those types of companies that are bringing innovative ways to solve problems like health, like how we handle finances, whether it's a country or you're a person. And then also, sure. you know, how, how do we handle, you know, just environmental issues? It's all going to come to a really big head, I think, very quickly. And for those people that um, are going to school, I really feel like they should be looking at careers that are five years out, not like now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I, I worked with a, a trade association that works with colleges. Um, they're looking at sustainability. It's actually, so they've got 2000 colleges and they're connected with the people involved in sustainability. And what's interesting is that the colleges started with, okay, we'll have a course on sustainability. Maybe we'll have two on the environment. And then they said, wait a minute, this is crazy. We ought to have a degree program in it. So they went that way. Good, good progress. And then the real advanced ones, and they're in Minnesota, they're in Portland, Oregon. What's happening is they're saying, no, everything in our curriculum has to be connected to sustainability. So if you do an, an English project, you have to read a book on sustainability and have to do a book report on that. And so they've taken the entire curriculum and said, no, 
we're going to cut across it and introduce uh, environment and sustainability in everything you do. So the, that I, I love to see that that trend and it's continuing now. They're going. That's the only way we're going to get people's attention. You know, we can't just have Bob, the material science or the soil management guy, know that because the problem is he yells and screams, but nobody listens to him. So anyhow, mm. some other stuff happening. Oh, that's really good stuff. I know we're getting yeah. close to the end of the show, so um, we're going to be oh, wrapping darn. this. Oh, I know, but this is like such a great conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> For sure. So Elizabeth's going to kick you off on this and then I'm going to be wrapping uh -oh. this up. She's going to ask me an embarrassing question. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That's all <laughs> oh, about who Elizabeth is. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm real, really cruel now. <laughs> yeah. What is the... <laughs> What's the best mentoring advice you want to share with our listeners? Um, I would say listening is really, really important. And NASDAQ has really taught me, I think, to listen so much better and longer and ask the right types of questions because usually you're so anxious to solve the problem, right? The problem solver thing. You know, you hear a little bit and you go, oh, well, you should do this and this and this. And so, what I've learned too is to ask more questions, understand exactly, you know, what their biggest problem is. And so I start to sort through and I go, okay, what's the thing that's bothering you the most now? And let's kind of zero in on that. And so after I learn more about their company, say, okay, let's do that. And then that's the discussion. And then when I have a follow-up, it's like, okay, let's deal with the next one. And so it, what ends up happening is we have a longer term relationship, right? We're able to work through several different problems. And I do have several that are, are very long-term. I, I mean, I've met with people a dozen times, um, you know, easily. And over the course of two, three years, I have one that, that's four years old. And a lot of that was just literally understanding more and more. So from that standpoint, I think mentors can help best if they listen a whole lot in the beginning. So that's my advice. So how can our listeners contact you? Website, social channels, LinkedIn, what do you want? Um, email is, is the best. Um, that seems to be my medium. Um, <laughs> I really don't do a whole lot on uh, social media. I, I'm aware of it. I know how it works, but um, either, and actually LinkedIn is the other. I do quite a bit with LinkedIn now. You wanna share your email or should they just sure. connect with you on LinkedIn? LinkedIn's one if they want to do that, or you can go to uh, bob at starterstudio.org. Yeah, and Reed is R-E-E-D, just so our yep. listeners know. Yep. All right. Well, I want to thank Cat5 Studios uh, for production of our show. Thank you to our production Perfect. team, Elizabeth Herbert, associate producer intern, okay. Steve Neese, Raymond Ahmad Khan, and our sound and music guy, Dave Francis. And so employers, just be sure to visit Intern Pursuit at internpursuit.tech, T-E-C-H, to learn how you can get matched to amazing intern talent and be recognized as an employer for change. So thank you for supporting us and visit us and subscribe on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel. Bye.